Welcome to the Breaking Startups podcast, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds that broke into tech. Today, we're speaking with Ben Creasy about how you went from holding elected office in the state of Alaska to getting exposure to programming, which led him to decide to pursue engineering full-time. Ben attended one of the top coding boot camps and landed a job at a startup called Bright Idea as a software engineer. Outside of coding, Ben is one of the top editors of Wikipedia with over 10,000 contributions. If you're interested in learning more about the world of coding boot camps, then check out our episode number four with Hasib Qureshi, where he talks about how he received offers from Google, Uber, and Airbnb after graduating from App Academy. Enjoy. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10x. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking into Stars podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, so we're sitting out here at Hack Reactor. The good people of Hack Reactor let us borrow their uh, one of their conference rooms. And we're recording the podcast straight out of there. We have a very special guest. Arthur, do you want to introduce our guest? Definitely. We have a super special guest. His name is Ben Creasy. He's a software engineer at Bright Year. Bright Idea. Bright Idea, that's right. And uh, actually, Ben and I, uh, we went to Hack Reactor together. We were in the same uh, cohort group. And um, for three months, we were like neck and neck, uh, coding together six days a week, 12 hours a day. And uh, luckily, both of us found great jobs afterwards. And we have Ben on the podcast today to share some of his story. But let's take a step back. And before we jump into the details, Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what were you doing before you jumped into tech? So I grew up in Ketchikan, Alaska, known for being the rainiest city in the country, I guess, with about 140 inches of rain a year. And then after college, I went to some little liberal arts school in Oregon, Pacific University. I studied economics and philosophy. I kind of did a few CS courses and I was pretty interested in computers and programming, but I was also interested in like the root of all knowledge philosophy and and how the economy works. I graduated in 2008 into the recession. And when I was looking for work, when I first heard the word insurance, I was like, you know, oh man, it's so boring, right? (laughs) Investment banking sounds so much more exciting. But this was also when the economy was crashing and everybody was talking about risk. And AIG, financial products, was this unregulated insurance entity that crashed the whole economy. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll learn a little bit about, you know, what makes all of this risk stuff work. And and the other cool thing about it, insurance is that it touches every sector of the economy. Everybody buys insurance. Absolutely. So how did you, so I guess you studied philosophy and a little bit of computer science in college. And then what did you jump into right out of school? You know, I, somehow I was drawn into some volunteering activities. I mean, I spent a lot of time just getting my feet wet, trying to figure out what was going on at work. But Alaska is a weird state. It's a very government dominated state. Mm-hmm. And we had a, a very large government budget. We had a very strong government employees union. And somehow the government employees union took over control of health insurance for themselves, which is pretty much unique in the country. And I ended up running for this position as a fiduciary, one of six who would control like $150 million of uh, state money. And the first time I ran, I lost. And then a I think it was like a year and a half later, I ended up running and winning, which is kind of funny because, you know, you have like a 24-year-old kid who doesn't really know anything. And right after that, my bank account in Wells Fargo showed that I had like 
like $50 million in it or something oh, man. like that. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I mean, uh, it's interesting. I have always, there's a lot of things about this organization that were kind of weird and problematic, actually. <laughs> when you're running a health insurance organization, you're not usually very popular because you have to do a lot of kind of mean things. You have this big booklet full of little terms and conditions and people are appealing those because they didn't follow them. They went to the doctor and the doctor said, get an MRI, but you didn't go and follow their procedure of a pre-approval. So now there's a penalty or you didn't go to the right hospital and now there's a penalty. And so we were the final appeals board for that. And uh, there was also a thing that none of the state employees knew and nobody really has talked about it. Even like, it's kind of new for me even to say, nobody really knows about this, but about a year and a half before I'd gotten on this trust, there was a lawsuit and they kicked off one of the trustees for supposedly violating HIPAA, talking about these health insurance appeals. And when they kicked her off, she sued for defamation. She won. The court case cost like $6 million. And uh, they assessed punitive damages against this organization and all the trustees. And a lot of those people were still on when I actually came onto the board. And it was a complete secret. And then I learned about it through back channels like six months later. And it caused a lot of stress for me because in some way, I often felt like I probably we probably should let all the people who voted for these people know about this catastrophe. Yeah. But when you're on a board and you're inside of this little circle, you don't usually leak any information. There's like this little informal rule, which is like you never talk about what goes on at a board meeting, even though, you know, we had like executive session where everything was secret and we had non-executive session in some in some ways. I mean, there was a you know, confidentiality agreement, all this stuff. So in some ways, maybe I could have, maybe I couldn't have. It was really ambiguous. And yeah. It's very stressful. So I was I was actually kind of glad when I lost the election, partially because all of the people were very angry at all of these denied health claims. And I just wrote a big a boilerplate statement. And they're like, oh, we'll just throw anybody in there who's going to try to fix this situation. But it's the way it is even to this day. It's it's a kind of a broken nonprofit. Wow. Ben, so I have a question for you. So it sounds like in college, you were a, an, an economics major. Then a couple of years down the line, you're feeling stressed. You're working hard. What made you kind of look back and consider other options? So, I mean, I, I just naturally don't like doing tedious things. I mean, I like to automate anything that could be automated. Mm-hmm. And when you come into this organization, we are dealing with so much data. It's about a one, I think it was like a $1.5 billion mm-hmm. market, hundreds and hundreds of companies, you know, all across all sorts of products, thousands and thousands of products across, you know, various things, commercial lines, personal lines. And, uh, yeah, there's no way to make sense of that data without using technology. And we weren't using much of it. So I had taken a couple of CS courses. I started writing some like visual basic scripting to like move the mm-hmm. data from one place to the next. I, I did a lot of research into PDF scraping because we had so many ugly PDFs, but that never worked out. And we were slowly, a lot of the information was now with becoming digital. I actually got on some like national steering committee for this web application that regulate, regulators were using to interface mm-hmm. with industry. And I could never, ever get anything to happen because apparently they were unwilling to hire developers. I, I, I would ask them, like, how many developers do you have working on? Can you put a developer on this call? And they're like, well, no. <laughs> so it sounds like it was very frustrating. Um, you were using stuff you learned in college from like a few college courses at that time to uh, try to like automate things. And at that point in time, did you envision yourself ever becoming an engineer? Or at that time, it was still something that was frustrating to you? Yeah, I did. I did. I mean, that was before Hack Reactor had ever really become a thing. I'm 30 years old. So mm-hmm. this was uh, when I was like 24, six mm-hmm. years ago. 
And uh, I actually looked at like these master's courses for CS degrees and they mm-hmm. all are, they're kind of weird. Like, why would you go for a master's degree in CS if you don't have an undergrad degree? <laughs> That's um, a great point. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, there was like, oh, I could go back for undergrad, but these accelerated learning systems weren't available. Mm-hmm. And I still, I seriously considered going back. I had a lot of other things that started to occupy my attention. I, and I always figured like, oh, I can learn this on my own. I, I'll figure it out someday. I'll just keep working. But you know, I kept working and I kept running into dead ends and getting frustrated. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, I'd worked through this, I worked through this big book on Java and then I realized like, oh, Java's not going to work for all the web stuff I want to do. And so now I'm working through all this, you know, I started off on PHP and then I was like, oh, everybody says PHP's crap. I better, and I ended up switching to Python. And, mm-hmm. and I, so I think a lot of our uh, listeners who are considering learning to code, they're jumping tutorial to tutorial and they're taking courses. But I guess, in the beginning, it's a little bit difficult to see the progress you're making. And even though you're learning new skills and you're getting a better understanding, it's hard to kind of pinpoint and really feel good about kind of some of the courses you completed. I guess what uh, resources, what online resources do you find the most helpful that actually help you like realize and get some confidence about what you were doing? Well, what I ended up settling on was Python. And then there's a reason that in the Python world, Flask has like jumped to the top. And that's a lot of ways because it has like the best tutorials online, as far as I could tell. I actually tried a various frameworks and I ended up, I mean, it's also very minimal. So it was an easy place to start versus like Django had a lot of documentation. It was a little bit more formidable. And then I, I had a book called jQuery in Action. And those were my two things that I used. And it didn't get me that far. But, you know, I, I poured through a lot of stuff. I had a, I, I used Evernote, but even before I used Evernote, I used other notepad materials. And I kept a very long list of all the mm-hmm. resources I tried. and was constantly trying to figure out something new. I also used IRC a fair bit, fair bit. So I would go into IRC chat rooms and I'd just like try to find people who would help me work through stuff. Is that how you heard about the boot camps? No, I mean, I just, I know a lot about various things. So I'm always trying to collect more and more information. So at some point it must have crossed through on some feed somewhere, mm-hmm. some blog. I was probably researching again, like how, how do I, you know, study coding? And, yeah, yeah. And, and there's yeah. lots of boot camps. So, so why Hack Reactor? I mean, it was a hard decision, um, and I spent a fair bit of time doing a bunch of due diligence, reading stories from people's blogs, and so Hack Reactor had the best stories, the most blogs, the most uh, Yelp reviews, and then there was App Academy, and I think it was partly just the, there was, there was a combination of factors that it felt like Hack Reactor did a better job with its alumni network. Hack Reactor was the first one I applied to, and I also got accepted, and the JavaScript thing was cool. You know, it was, it was hip by the time I had done it, which wasn't that long ago. Yeah. So part of the reason why you went into the bootcamp thing was not just because you wanted to be an engineer, but you also saw a lot of the things that were broken in government. And is that why you started to like really pursue this route to fulfill this engineering role? Or, or why, why did you think engineering was the role for you? I think engineering was probably always the role for me. The question was whether I would add do a boot camp or not. Like I always figured long term, even like when I graduated college, I was like, you know, I'd taken a couple of computer science classes. I was like, oh, you know, I'll do this for now. But at some point I'm going to go and, and write a bunch of code and build a web application or something. So Ben, um, why, like, it sounds like you did some courses in college. So why didn't you just, I guess, major in computer science or why didn't you try to like find a job or an internship after college to become a software engineer? Yeah, I had a lot of health issues and it made it very difficult for me to code. I had like a lot of wrist pain, I had a lot of back pain, I had this like gluten intolerance thing that 
just made my gas a lot of gave me a lot of gastrointestinal problems and mm-hmm. I couldn't I somehow you know I just couldn't make it work and even even after I got to work it took me several years to recover I have like a three hundred dollar keyboard right now Kinesis Advantage mm-hmm. keyboard yep. and I have a uh, I have a mouse which is like special and ergonomic that costs like one hundred and fifty bucks and I have a a chair that's it's like a saddle chair. You know, it, yeah, I have a three thousand, like a, a two thousand dollar bed that's adjustable firmness to make because I had back pain. Yeah, it was just it was kind of a mess. And now I've slowly managed to figure all that out through a lot of, you know, devices, ergonomic devices, but mm-hmm. also some research and yeah, stuff. That's awesome. So you decided to, I guess, after you figured out your like kind of that you wanted to pursue engineering, and you decided to pick Hack Reactor. What was your kind of preparation like? What resources did you use and what was your kind of how long did you spend preparing for the Hack Reactor interview? I mean, I was basically preparing a lot after every day at work. I would go home and I would be trying to work on coding problems. I forget the exact coding website that I used, but I did a lot of the algorithm problems at one of the websites. Like Coderbyte or Coderbyte, I did a bunch of the Coderbyte ones, yep. Mm-hmm. And uh I think um yeah, I think that was mostly what the one that I focused on. Yeah, and, and it sounds like you went through a lot of health roadblocks, but as you were preparing to get into Hack Reactor, did you run into any like software or struggles learning the material? A little bit. I mean, the biggest hurdle for me has always been procrastination. You know, even though I'm somewhat productive and I managed mm-hmm. to get shit done, I mean, I'm just like everybody else. I, I go home and I'm lazy and I'm just like, oh, I'm going to binge watch this Netflix series, you know? And uh, <laughs> Happens to the best of us. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I try to make it sound like I'm working really hard, but I mean, constantly one of the biggest roadblocks was just sitting down and doing it. Once you start doing it, it's a lot easier. Like, actually, I was in Hawaii when I got the pre-course work for Hack Reactor with my family. And, uh, you know, we were being lazy, sitting around, and it was like, I could have worked on that pre-course work with no problems. But instead, <laughs> I was out, you know, doing, you know, laying on the beach, reading a, a fun book or playing video games with my brothers. For most of the time. And then at the very end, I started working on it. And I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. And it wasn't so bad. Ben, so it's, it's good that you mentioned your family. Can you tell us a little bit about how your family took kind of the news of you leaving your job? Sounds like you had a pretty successful career. You might have not liked it, but it was a pretty successful career. And then quitting that to do a coding boot camp and uh, kind of moving out to SF. Yeah, I think they were okay with it. My three brothers are all younger than me. And so they're really figuring things out on their own. And actually, one of them got a degree in chemistry, and he hated being in the lab. He had a, kind of a successful career, too. He was making good money on the North Slope, mm-hmm. testing oil, working for BP, and uh, two weeks on, two weeks off in a big city versus uh, re- remote. And then he was like, ah, I can't do this. So he went back to school for an undergrad degree in electrical engineering, and he's still mm-hmm. working on it. And he's like 28 years old. So, wow. um, <laughs> And uh, he's paying for it all out of pocket because he was able to save a lot of money. But, you know, it does make my parents kind of roll their eyes. But at the same time, you know, they just kind of roll with it. They're, we don't worry about that kind of stuff too much. Yeah. And um, you did it in three months. Yeah, I did, I did my, my whole transition in three months. <laughs> He's, he, it's taken him like three years. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. That's awesome. So I guess, what did you find the most challenging going through Hack Reactor? Um, I know like the, the Hack Reactor provides like a very supportive faculty and the students are like always there to help as well. But what was your kind of biggest challenges as you were going through the coursework? You know, there's imposter syndrome. So mm-hmm. I would not say I was the sharpest person at Hack Reactor by far. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, it's a tough 
it's a tough group of people. At least it was when I was there. I mean, no, I mean, they're great people, but they're really smart. So you feel like at least a lot of them are really, really smart. So you feel like, oh man, am I keeping up? Am I actually um in the same league? And then uh, the time was okay. I mean, it's a little tough for me because I do have health issues, so I need to be careful about that. And so it's heavily laptop oriented around Hack Reactor. And by the end of Hack Reactor, my wrists were basically shot. I was like having a lot of trouble coding at that point. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I was very happy to be out of Hack Reactor and into a place <laughs> where I could just like have my special keyboard mm-hmm. and not have to worry about running around with a laptop all over the place. Did you have any health routines that you had that like you did to keep you balanced while you were going through Hack Reactor and no? Not too much. They encourage like exercise and stuff, but that's not usually the biggest problem for me. It's more just ergonomics of sitting down and using your wrist for a long time and not. Yeah. And I, I could be better about like maybe my hygiene. I've actually been, now that I've been working with the, for some reason, I'm now able to use the la- laptops a lot better. As long as I do it only on weekends or like in the evenings every so often and at work, I'm just like on my special keyboard and I'm yeah, okay. That's awesome. Cause it sounds like you overcame not just like academic challenges, but also like physical and a lot of no. people are struggling with that as well. Like it's hard to keep your mind focused and keep it the sharpest when you're experiencing physical pain. Or I know for myself, I try to make sure I went to the gym every morning before class. And even though it was sometimes tough, like no, I may have went to sleep at like one o'clock or two o'clock. I made sure I was at the gym at six in the morning because that sets me up well for the next day. And I have yep. the energy and I know I'm putting in one hour of some cardio and some some work at the gym and then it made me that much stronger for the rest of the day so i think having physical routines and that definitely helps you keeps you sane and keeps your mind uh, awake yeah it's i mean yeah it's can't be overstated but i am not the most physical person and I, that's one of my weaknesses as well so so ben um on another note when you were finishing up hack reactor and you were beginning your job search in your like honest opinion do you think Hack Reactor prepared you for that job search? Yeah, I think I think they did a pretty good job at preparing me. It's still difficult, and I think they overstate a little bit how you're going to be received. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Oh, you guys are all like, you know, you're not junior engineers anymore, but you know, if you don't have a lot of job experience, <laughs> it's hard to convince people that you're not a junior engineer, and you kind of have to wow them in the interview." And it helps to have the projects and it helps to be able to do the algorithms. And if you can do both of those really well, then I think you can do pretty well. Unfortunately, it's, yeah, I mean, it's tough to remember all of these algorithms, you know, and like, and people say, don't remember, remember them, just use the logic. But it's Mm -hmm. that actually doesn't work as well as people say. You got to know your stuff. And if you know the basic patterns pretty well and you've done them multiple times, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. So I I know for me personally, just telling the story of, why I quit my previous job, why I did App Academy to learn how to code and kind of tying it all together played a huge role in my interviews. Did you have a similar experience? And if so, then what was your story or like how did you pitch yourself to your potential employers? I actually didn't have that much of that experience. One of the things, a lot of my interviews were, I felt very technical. Mm -hmm. Like I think the first interview that I had was a phone screen where he basically said, oh yeah, why don't you tell me how I would write an algorithm for Dijkstra's shortest path between this huge graph of nodes, basically like the Kevin Bacon, you know, mm-hmm. degree Six degrees problem. of separation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then there was like a logic puzzle and there was like zero, like, hey, how are you doing? And uh, <laughs> that was kind of how a lot of my interviews went. And um, how did that feel? I actually 
didn't mind it that much. I mean, it didn't dehumanize me. Yeah. Um, I, and actually the company that I came to ultimately was much more like human and like mm-hmm. I just went out to lunch with one of their engineers, but they also, you know, they probably needed to beef up their technical hiring screening process. I think I, I had three offers by the end when I chose an ultimate company that I had, mm-hmm. but none of them had an amazing technical screening process. One of them had a stronger one and that one I didn't end up going with, but you know. how, how many times did you get rejected? Um, or that, that you estimate? I probably have it written down somewhere, but I would estimate it. From the application, like how many applications did you send out? And then yeah, like, if the you funnel. had to estimate, I guess from every opportunity you either contemplated and you took at least yeah. a step forward, what it's would you It's kind of depressing to remember, huh? Like probably at least 150 applications. Wow. Uh-huh. And then probably 30 or something phone screens, maybe probably more. And then maybe like... 10, 15 mm-hmm. on-sites. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was, it was well, a grueling process. Yeah. yeah. And I, I want to highlight to our listeners that it's not like, even though um, even though it may seem like, hey, like you spent three months learning how to code, ultimately it's like you have to put in the time to learn the algorithms. You have to put in the time to kind of know how to pitch your story, how to tell, how to convince someone that, hey, you would be a good employee. But the most important part of the job search, at least for myself, and I could probably speak for Timor as well, is just facing the rejection, right? I applied to probably at least 150 companies, probably more, and I faced many companies who said no. And no matter like how many no's I got, I still made sure that I'd send out at least five applications the next day. And it takes time, but the more interviews you go through, the more interviews, the better you get at answering those questions, or you develop an intuition. And then after facing some rejection. Then three months in, I was feeling completely comfortable. And I was like, hey, the worst thing that could happen is they'll say no. And the best thing that could happen is they'll get an offer. And I ended up getting a couple of offers and it led me to my job. But I guess, tell us a little bit about like kind of your current company and how did you decide to pick Bright Idea compared to all your other offers? Well, I didn't have that many offers. Uh, I had three offers and they weren't like amazing offers either. Bright Idea was is pretty cool though because you know when I went in for my on-site interview, I sat down with the CEO and uh, had a really good conversation with him for like two hours. And this is a you know it's a company that's been around for a while. It's got sixteen years of ex- of uh, it's been around for sixteen years. It has a, a substantial amount of revenue and it's been cash flow positive for almost its, its entire existence. Wow. So I don't want to like reveal tons of information about the the company's finances publicly, but they're doing okay and. Um, that's kind of cool to be at a company with about 50, so a little, I think more than that, people that's doing okay, that doesn't have really much venture funding, and that's sustainable. And it's also kind of a cool space. Like The idea is, let's make companies innovate more. Let's help them innovate. And that was one of the problems I had when I was in government is like, let's see how we can implement some of these good ideas and let's implement a suggestion box. And you're kind of like, you have to work hard to get people to even think about new ideas. And this is a, a company that basically helps these little departments and big corporations. I think we have about 150 clients and almost all of them you would recognize. Even um, one of our recent clients is, I think, Monsanto. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, the seed company. Huh? Yeah, yeah. No, we uh, and we help them figure out what ideas to take and to prioritize and re- revenue estimates and cost estimates and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like you finally figured out a way to like merge what you were doing before with what you're doing now. It sounds like you're doing a lot of consulting. Or, or I don't, no? No, I don't really do any consulting. I'm basically sitting and coding all the time. I don't. 
I'm not actually super interested in like what I was doing before, except that I like thinking about like the broader picture and how the whole system works. And, and you don't really, I don't really think I get that too much where I'm at, but it's just sort of interesting. I think I could be happy right now in my career at any engineering company and just work, looking at interesting engineering problems and sharpening my, my software skills. That's really all I'm interested in at this particular time. Although I have some interests outside of work, but I've, you know, I spent so much time on those types of things before I got to Hack Reactor, before I got into this thing that I was really burnt out and I kind of had to figure out like, well, it's time to really focus on myself a little bit more. Yeah. What, what are some of those interests that you have outside of work? And have you been able to leverage your new skills in those areas? Yeah. So after I finished with this uh, health insurance trust, I, you know, a, a local nonprofit, it's sort of well known. It took a case to the Supreme Court a few years ago, an environmental nonprofit. I connected with them and I got on their board. So I was working at that for a couple of years trying What's to- What's the name of it? It's called Southeast Alaska Conservation Council. And it's famous for, you know, in the 1970s, it basically locked up the Tongass National Forest, the biggest national forest in the country, from logging and saved all the, saved all the trees, you know. But it's also, you know, when I was there, I was working on a lot of cool problems in, in my backyard, which is like protecting us from some pretty destructive log, uh, mining that could affect a lot of our rivers and um, working on climate change and stuff that I'm kind of passionate about. And then I also was helping out, I, I ended up uh, visiting, there's like the Big Brother big sister program, but I, I ended up doing something called the court appointed special advocate program where you visit foster children. So it's a lot like big brother, big sister, but you're also going into court and you're presenting the facts about the kid and your recommendation about where they should be placed. And after I got burnt out of that, because that, that is really, really stressful, I got on this um, citizen review panel where I, we talked to the, the Office of Children's Services in Alaska every month, their director, and made recommendations that they had to respond to. And I, right before I left, I was I was going through their software application and trying to get figure that out a way for to recommend that they actually buy a better software application to make their social workers much more productive. And I'm still kind of connected to that a little bit. The guy who's working on it is going to call me about helping him out with some web stuff. And then Wikipedia is my Oh yeah, that, is my I wanted you to touch on that a little bit. Yeah, tell us about it. Yeah, when I was in college, I started editing Wikipedia back in 2007. And mostly I just wanted to be involved in something open source, but I wasn't, uh, I couldn't code. Uh, I wasn't, wasn't confident enough for that and it was a lot easier. So I have about 10,000 edits. I don't really share my username because you can get, it just gets messy sometimes mm -hmm. with people trying to track you down or like you're worried yeah. about, like I've, I've actually edited really controversial articles trying to fix them. And that's where you have a lot of extremists who are Wikipedia attracts a lot of people who want to get their voice heard. And sometimes their voice is not very good. Like there's a, I was involved in a really horrendous like race and intelligence controversy where a bunch of like white supremacists were kind of coming in <laughs> and you have like global warming, you know, tons of people are banned. And then alternative medicine is a really hotbed area that I've also spent some time. And I was on, I kind of got involved in the governance there too, where I got on the audit committee. So these days I'm kind of talking to people on the Wikimedia Foundation level, trying to help them. Wikimedia Foundation has had a lot of problems recently. I don't know if you guys have heard, but their executive director resigned. Her approval rating, I think the question, survey question was, what percent of employees have confidence in the executive director was 7%. Wow. And so she had to resign, and they're, certain, they're in an interim situation right now, but they have a lot of problems in the organization. And I'm starting up a Bay Area Wiki salon where every month I invite people who are involved or interested to come hang out and edit Wikipedia and learn about it and 
We're going to try to get some celebrities to come and talk to us if we can. I emailed Craig Newmark from uh, Craigslist nice. the other day, but we'll see You know if we can. And for those of the listeners who want to find out more about the Wiki Salons, yeah. do you guys have a website or we a have, Twitter? We have, if you type in Bay Area Wiki Salon, you'll probably find something on Wikipedia about it. And then I, we also have a meetup.com page. So if you search it, you'll, Bay Area Wikipedia, then you'll find the meetup group. And then um, I'm sending out invites on Facebook sometimes. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And you mentioned you wanted to get something involved in something that's open source. So for our listeners, what is open source? And then also why open source? Yeah, open source is basically free and open knowledge. And it's I think the why is to make it so that people can understand understand things. I mean, it's also just like I've always uh I've always wanted to know more about why things work and how how things work and and not have to pay because paying isn't scalable. If you want to know a lot of things, paying isn't scalable because you're going to be paying for everything. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I've also been kind of very interested the whole Wikipedia movement is very interested in open access to scholarly information, which has been a bit it's a big burden to editing Wikipedia and getting good information out there. And then in in the programming world, I mean, open source is great. It, you know, I am a little bit cynical about open source in that I think that it will probably end up reducing the market for software engineers eventually. But I think that's okay. You know, that's just, it's not the end of the world if I make myself a little bit more obsolete. I think that we're all going to be a little bit more obsolete in 100 years. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Especially with AI coming <laughs> and machine learning. For sure. So we're going to do our next part. And Timo, you want to introduce it? Yeah. So... The last part is the lighting round. So this is the part where Ruben, Arthur, and I will ask you a series of questions. And the point is for you to give very brief answers, but we would love for you to include a lot of advice, resources, and different techniques that you use to kind of learn how to code. So I'll let Arthur take it away. Yeah, Ben. So this is a pretty interesting esoteric question. So imagine if you had to start all over again, and you only had $100, you were in a new city, what would you do to start all over again? Oh, with no, without the skills I have right now? Um, yeah, let's assume that you were, let's say, a couple of years ago before you attended Hack Reactor and you had $100 and you were in a new city and you wanted to pursue your dream. Oh, man. Yeah. This is, uh, you know, in hindsight, I would probably start Uber. You know, or something like that. Um, I would take one of the successful companies that didn't seem to require as much, uh, as much like, you know, Google engineering, PhD level mm-hmm. knowledge and try to start that. But I mean, starting from scratch, I can't even imagine doing that because I've always had a support network. Mm-hmm. And I've also kind of, in some ways, I've taken a safe path in my life. You know, I went and worked at a salary job for government and I'm not as big of a risk taker as you might think because I went to Hack Reactor. <laughs> but you did quit your job to do Hack Reactor. I so did, I did. I would say that's a pretty big risk. I mean, I would try to make as much money as possible. Maybe I would even be a salesperson, you know, because mm-hmm. I think if, as a salesperson, you can kind of make mm-hmm. your way faster. But as soon as as soon as I got my feet under me and I felt comfortable, I would probably pursue a, a salary job and try to be a software engineer. I mean, <laughs> nice. Maybe I'd even take a take a loan out because that's all I could consider doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that, and that, especially two years ago, it was, you know, it was a pretty t- good time to be looking. Yeah. yeah. And throughout the process, while you're going through Hack Reactor and hitting these different roadblocks, was there anything that, any piece of music or 
a person that you talked to or a movie that you watched that helped you get through the frustrations? It sounds like most of them were like health related. Yeah. I mean, you would think that I would have a good inspiration. I mean, I, I and I don't really want to, I mean, I do like, I pay actually, and I shouldn't for like this electronic music that helps me focus, but I don't know if I want to say that because really you should just find, it's called focus at will actually, but you really, you should just find some, uh, some music if you're trying to focus that helps you focus or you should, I, I have isolation headphones. So I have headphones that are not like electronic isolation, but they're just tight enough or they have a, there's a rating that you can get. So mm-hmm. you look for headphones that are actually rated. Mm-hmm in a special way. And I think that's the thing I always try to do is I always try to find scientific evidence evidence for things. So I'll go to scholar.google.com. Rather than reading marketing hype, you just go to scholar.google.com and you say, hey, is there a actual randomized controlled clinical trial on this particular thing? <laughs> like, did we actually do a scientific ex- experiment to validate these claims? Mm-hmm. And I mean, <laughs> I've tried to optimize my own life for comfort I mean, I bought a zero gravity chair the other day and it's been really nice and it's like I can collapse it and stow it in the side and it's like a camping chair that I can, you know, lay back on and uh, I, yeah, little things like that. My mattress, I love my mattress and there is scientific evidence behind adjustable firmness mattresses. Is it Casper or something else? No, it's more of like a select comfort sleep number bed. That's, yeah, if you can customize the firmness, that helps a lot. You'll figure out your sweet spot. So we'll definitely include... All the chairs, the music, the, the mattress, the headphones, we'll include links to those products in our show notes so our listeners can also go and buy it. You mentioned the keyboard and the mouse. What were the brands for them? The keyboard is a Kinesis Advantage. It mm-hmm. is uh, pretty renowned as like the most ergonomic keyboard out there, I think. Uh, but it's expensive and it takes some getting used to. I mean, I customized my keyboard shortcuts a little bit for it. And then the mouse is a hand shoe mouse, so it's like supposed to fit your... Um, your hand like a shoe but Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know people also do the uh like i forget what they call it but it's like a you're kind of holding it like you're holding a pistol or something like that um (laughs) and i didn't that one didn't work for me i started it aggravated me over time but and it's very important because as an engineer you're going to be working um with your computer almost six seven eight hours a day and that's if you multiplied in a year you'll probably spend over a thousand hours with your computer so you might as well invest a few hundred bucks into the equipment. So your body feels good. You're more productive. You're more efficient. Yeah. And also the saddle chair, I recently got that. Prior to that, I was kind of like, you know, using a standing thing and Mm -hmm. then not sitting on a stool and like, but the saddle chair has been really, really, really good. And then, um, oh, the other thing is like, you probably should use a MacBook. I mean, seriously. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like I tried, I actually bought a Linux laptop in 2006 and that wasted so much of my time and set me back so much because I was constantly fighting all the bugs. And I keep watching it. I mean, at some point, if if Linux actually starts doing like real, really good regression testing, and they stop shipping so many bugs, mm-hmm. and they stop like all of their user unfriendly practices, then I will switch. But it can just oh, it can slow you back and set you back so slow you down and set you back so much. I totally agree. I use a MacBook. My brother does. I use I use the Dell before I uh, learn how to code. And switching to a MacBook is probably the best decision I've ever done. And carpal yeah. tunnel is a real thing, so you got to be mindful of it regardless. Yeah. yeah. So what's one of the best pieces of advice that you would give to someone who's considering starting a similar journey that you followed? Well, you know, I, these days I'm actually a little bit less excited about it. I think it's harder than it used to be. So I think you need to be very prepared to for a, kind of a long slog. I mean, I think we, yeah, I mean, 
before I went to Hack Director, it was basically impossible to find people who kind of failed to reach their goal. And now I think there are a few people who are finding that, who are having trouble. It shouldn't dissuade you. I think it might be interesting. Like we might have a shakeout where like it becomes really hard to find hard to find a job as a software engineer and like and then in five years it's going to be like oh we have this huge shortage because you know we didn't hire enough junior people and then yeah so in the long term i think it's like it's going to be the best career there's no doubt in my mind about that you're basically getting paid to code and learn right yeah yeah thanks for checking us out we appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better if you enjoyed this let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in. Let's break in.